Hey there, and welcome to Spiritual Capital. I'm Craig Matson. This is a political podcast. Uh, wait, what? Isn't this usually a conversation about how organizational leaders can learn to see, you know, unobvious resources in their workplaces and community? Well, yes, but it's also a political podcast. I, not a partisan one, but political nonetheless. Political in the sense that it examines how we collaborate, how we arrange our lives together, how we put us together. So yes, it's a political podcast, even though I'm usually talking to social entrepreneurs, not pundits. Today, though, I am talking with Chris Butler, who's running for U.S. Congress, Illinois First District. He's an experienced public servant. He's a community organizer. He's done civic engagement since high school and before. Now, as a proud resident of the First District, as a husband, father, and pastor, Chris Butler joins this conversation with what I think is a kind of surprising suggestion that the work of indexing spiritual capital has a lot in common with community organizing. Running an organization, in other words, any kind of organization, is about community formation and about what Chris calls creative ways of seeing what's actually happening in our community. Welcome to Spiritual Capital, uh, Pastor Chris Butler. Thank you. I would love to hear from you a story that for you encapsulates why you do what you do, why you care so deeply about the first district here in Illinois. Absolutely. Uh, so one, just thank you for having me uh, on the uh, podcast. I'm really glad to be here. The story itself probably starts when I'm in sixth grade at 12 years old, and that's when I first get involved. Uh, I got involved in community organizing. Uh, but the, uh, the the capstone moment, probably the thing that made a true believer out of me, uh, is when I was in high school uh, and uh, folks at my high school, students, were organizing to get rid of uh, standardized tests in uh, the state of Illinois and in the city of Chicago. And we actually got rid of a, of a big test that Chicago Public Schools used to administer called the case exam. Uh, and while getting rid of the case exam is probably not going down in anybody's history of Chicago Public Schools is like any seminal moment uh, in the history of CPS, it was a huge moment for me because it was it was the first time hmm. that I saw like a what I considered a really big institution change under the influence of seemingly powerless people like hmm. high school students. Hmm. Um, you think about CPS, there are unions, there are vendors, there's the mayor, like there's all these powerful influences. And this relatively small group of high school students we're able to bring enough pressure, visibility, awareness to this issue of standardized testing to actually get a, a test permanently dismissed. Hmm. Um, and so just the proximity to that and being involved and seeing that even a powerless group like a handful of high school students could actually move a big institution like Chicago Public Schools mm-hmm. made a true believer out of me just mm-hmm. in this basic idea uh, that people who seem powerless can really work together uh, and pull their resources together um, and build enough power to do uh, things and, and make concrete changes uh, in the everyday life of, of people. Uh, so that, that was probably the moment that 
permanently made a true believer out of me. If I were looking at your career, like you helped with the Barack Obama senatorial campaign. You were probably involved in his presidential campaign. And Mm -hmm. here you're pointing to this sort of critical personal moment for you. Yes, indeed. That, that was, that was the moment that, that made me do some of the other stuff. I mean, when I got involved with the Obama campaign, the Senate campaign, uh, you know, he was probably the third likeliest person to win. Uh, that huh. Senate seat, if not fourth, if you include the Republican who was waiting on the other side, probably was the fourth wow. likeliest. Uh, and but he, it seemed right to me. Um, and the the ideas were things that I could sort of get behind and believe in. Uh, and so we threw in with the funny name guy from the South Side instead of the billionaire who has spent a million dollars a day or the mm-hmm. uh the third generation uh politician uh or the uh the heir apparent uh charismatic republican mm. uh who was supposed to take the republican senate seat from illinois it was held by a republican first uh, so there was a lot of reasons to go with other folks but the that that point in high school uh is is so important i mean it's 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 driven things in, in, in my ministry. It just made me believe that you didn't have to always align yourself with the most likely and the most obvious, uh, but you could actually look for different ways of aligning things and doing things and imagine ways of being in the world hmm. uh, that can actually change relations of power and create concrete uh, improvements for people. Well, thank you for that explanation. And I'm seeing a connection between that story and the sort of regular conversations of this pod. So mm-hmm. um, one of the preoccupations of spiritual capital and these conversations has been like, how do we learn to recognize what is unobvious and what is not easily detected in a, a particular neighborhood, in a particular community. And when you talk about testing, that's what I'm mm-hmm. thinking of, because it, testing is an instrument for learning to discern those, those resources um, among, I don't know, high schoolers, say. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated with, th- by s- sort of thinking about um, the, the testing as a, as a means of trying to discern um, what's not immediately obvious, but is really good in a community. But you've pointed to some of those limitations too. So yes, as you think about your career as a as an organizer mm-hmm. and as someone running for office, like what are some other connections that you make between this idea of learning to recognize unobvious goods in a community and community organizing? Is there overlap between those two kinds of practices? Yeah, I I think very much so. Organizing is, it's almost the same thing, right? Because the the question uh, is certainly the same. The question in organizing is when you step into the community, what are the the resources of, of people that can be uh, organized in a way to create something uh, powerful. Uh, now, when we think about it in community organizing, uh, at least the way it's discussed um, primarily, uh, you think about policy and government, uh, but the question is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we get into the community uh, of, of the people who are um, – 
needing the change to happen and actually find resources and people and skills uh, such that we can organize it uh, and create and build power that can make change uh, happen for people. Um, hmm. So it's, it's very much the same question. I would say that a lot of what happens in sort of like the, the sort of grassroots community-based business-making world, uh, I can make the argument that it is community organizing, right? Because hmm. hmm. it, it, is, it is that question. Uh, it is that work. It may not be targeted toward changing a particular policy or changing something in government, uh, but it is still building power uh, for the community. Uh, one of the things that I uh, like to talk about when I'm talking to uh, folks who are getting into organizing hmm. uh, is that uh, if you are uh, doing work and you are leveraging the, uh, the resources of a community to make progress on your issue, uh, that's not organizing. That's something else. Hmm. Um, when you're organizing, you're actually leveraging the issues to make progress for the community, hmm. right? The, the campaign win is not the, the, the be-all, end-all. Hmm. If, if you're doing good community organizing, uh, you leave the relations of power actually adjusted, and you leave the community stronger uh, at the end of the campaign than it was at the beginning. And if, if the community is not stronger at the end of your campaign, even if you won, what you did wasn't organizing. Hmm. Um, and so I, I think it's it's very, very similar, mm -hmm. uh, if, if not really the same. Mm -hmm. the, it's interesting to think about you like giving advice to other people who want to get into community organizing. As I'm thinking about spiritual capital, I'm thinking about particular practices that we can do to learn to see what isn't immediately apparent. Mm -hmm. How do you sort of coach people in, in learning to see in that way in, in communities? So one of the great blessings of my life uh, was to be able to be around community organizers, like real community organizers uh, at a really young age. And any organizer worth their salt, one of the, the things that they are going to gift you very early uh, is the capacity to do what we call a one-on-one. -on -one. Hmm. Um, and it is uh, where you, you sit with folks uh, in their environment uh, and you ask questions and you listen. Hmm. Um, you gather uh, stories hmm. and hmm. experiences. And the goal is really to hear, to know, and to understand. Um, and I think that is where seeing in this different way um where it starts. Uh, it, it's very different uh, from maybe coming in with a survey, right? So back to the testing piece, right? You come into a community uh, with a survey and you could ask people, you know, what do I you see. think about the grocery store and what yeah. do you think about? But when you sit with them on their porch in their living room, yeah. in their school, yeah. and have a conversation, there are details and nuances um, that you just won't ever get mm -hmm. in the survey. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that skill set, that, that discipline of, of the one-on-one -on -one is probably the best gift uh, that I received as an organizer and is, and is probably the one that I try to uh, hone in the most uh, when, when talking to folks who are getting into organizing. Mm -hmm. 
I have a friend, uh, Diamon Harjis, in mm. Indianapolis, and he follows a similar practice sitting on people's porches mm. with an audio recorder and saying, hey, tell me, tell me a story. And um, he said that those stories bring with them the ecologies that those mm -hmm. people live in. So you, you get a feel for their worlds, their yeah. lives. Um, that's, that's really so great. great. It's beautiful. Okay, so um, I use a term like spiritual capital. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, to some people, kind of jarring and bothersome. And I confess that some days I don't like it. It's, it seems to that it might either monetize spirituality or spiritualize money. And, mm -hmm. and oh, geez, it's problematic. What do you hear when you hear those words put together? I, I guess I hear those things that you just mentioned, and I don't think they're bad at all. Okay. Uh, because I, I think that there is um, a, a very real sense in which the spiritual is uh, a realizable resource. Hmm. Um, when you think about uh, story, as we were just talking about, when you think about culture, mm -hmm. um, those are resources um, and unfortunately, sometimes we don't see them as resources and they actually end up being um, colonized in significant ways uh, because we don't even see them as realizable resources. Uh, and so maybe we don't treat them uh, with the same respect as we would, you know, coming into a community and taking somebody's land or, mm -hmm. you know, their banked assets but but those those uh, uh sort of metaphysical things that communities and people have like story and culture are real realizable resources and so i i think that there's a real sense in which the spiritual is capital um and capital is uh spiritual uh when we think about the ability to see those opportunities those skills those resources in community, uh, a lot of times it takes a spiritual lens, a spiritual mm -hmm. way of looking at things mm -hmm. um, in order to see it. Uh, I'll talk again about testing in high school. We sure. already established this is a significant moment for me in my life. Right. Um, one of the reasons why I was so passionate about that standardized testing in high school uh, is that I went to a selective, I went to a selective enrollment high school. I tested into that high school, standardized test. But I went to eighth grade uh, on the west side of Chicago in an under-resourced community. And I went to school with, with kids who I knew then, as I know now, were every bit as smart as I was, every bit as driven, creative, whatever you want to say. Mm. Uh, but their intellect, their creativity, their giftedness was not going to be reflected in the test. Mm. Right. Uh, and there was no other way mm -hmm. of assessing mm -hmm. uh, them as people. Wow. Right. In order to to see who they are and what their real potential is. So so then I get tracked for this kind of future and opportunity. Uh, and then other kids get tracked for something else based on the test. And there should have been a more robust uh, assessment. And so this ability to, I guess I would say, spiritualize capital uh, in a certain sense uh, in terms of being able to look for capital with a spiritual eye yes. uh, is, is, is really important. And that's, that's what I think about when I hear the term spiritual capital. Uh, so I, I would point you to something that I think is a miracle that you might not think is a miracle, <laughs> which is uh, interior design, uh, the ability of somebody to stand in a room or stand in a space and revision it. 
mm-hmm. um, using the available resources mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, wow. uh, just adding paint and moving furniture and yeah. bringing in a pillow and just completely transform the space. I've never been able to do that. Uh, but I get to be around folks who do their folks in the church and folks in my family uh, who do that uh, well. But it is very much the same thing. It is just the ability uh, to see things that may not be immediately obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a creative uh, approach to looking. Mm-hmm. And I call it spiritual. Somebody else might call it something else. Uh, but it's a very important thing i think to bring to how we think about capital Mm -hmm. so when we get ready to assess where there is resource and opportunity and hope that we can have a more robust view than some of the Mm -hmm. more sort of brass tacks Mm -hmm. if you will ways of, of looking at it yes i was especially struck that you said that people can colonize spiritual resources i think about infrastructure or policy or or procedures that people have to go through to get um, the 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 sort of social benefits that are due them, and just to think about the enormous amounts of time sometimes that costs, the enormous amounts of attention, and just the the kind of resilience it requires to just sit down and work through a thirty page form that you've got to fill out to mm-hmm. get what is coming to you yeah. as a citizen. Oh my goodness, that's really striking. You you mentioned this this really funny uh, analogy of um, interior design. I'm also not particularly gifted in that area, and you know I'm thinking about people in my life who would say, "Yes, you're right. That's not, <laughs> not one of your not one of your sort of secret gifts." But you you make me think about place and the importance of the spaces of our lives and the and the places. A lot of the people I talk to in these conversations are trying to attend to particular neighborhoods, particular particular regions and the gifts that those that that are present on that street that you might not miss if you're just driving by um, but you're you're running for national office here um, how do you negotiate a, a sort of tension I see it as a tension maybe you don't but mm-hmm. uh, between the kind of national concerns um, which today are so fraught and and so um, polarizing, and the maybe less fraught sort of local concerns. Yeah. yeah. How do you negotiate that? So I, I think looking at that tension is very, very important. Um, and it's, it's probably one of the big reasons, if not the single biggest reason, that I'm in this race. These national issues, uh, if, if we can call them that, I would suggest to us may just be the distractions of what I call the the stucktocracy. Hmm. The, the stucktocracy uh, is the group of folks who make careers, make money, build influence off of perpetuating ongoing battles uh, over things that may not have the very most uh, significance in the everyday lives of people. When you make that uh, the national conversation, mm-hmm. first off, it makes people very afraid of each other. Uh, if you are not from my place, right? Like if you're from a different place geographically, culturally, uh, sort of like class background, then you're dangerous. Mm. Um, you're, you're the threat. And so my, my objective in politics becomes to isolate, if not annihilate you because you're different. Mm. And, and there is a stuckocracy that loves to make that the national conversation so that nothing real ever actually happens. Mm -hmm. I think that the national conversation actually has to focus 
on these local places where people are working Mm -hmm. uh, to make real concrete improvements in the lives of people. And the questions uh, that we should be asking at the at the national level is not necessarily how do we make everybody the same, uh, but how do we create environments where everybody can thrive in their places so that we have a respect and a regard for one another uh, and begin to understand that we can be different and not be divided, mm-hmm. uh, that we can be um, um, diverse uh, and not have to try to destroy each other, but have uh, respect for one another. Uh, and at the national level, we have to become adept again at finding those places of common concern uh, where we can create environments that uh, enable folks to, to create these solutions uh, in their own lives. And, and to me, that's empowering families, that's empowering individuals, that's empowering communities. Uh, And a lot of those things can get done at the national level were we not so distracted Mm -hmm. uh, on some of these like broad brush issues of culture that ultimately we shouldn't be trying to standardize Mm -hmm. in the country. Uh, And I I, I do think, though, that the reason we are there uh, is because there are folks who they're making a killing off of this, I see. Uh, off of this fight. And so I'm actually in this race to go to Congress and be like, hey, we don't all have to be the same, mm-hmm. right? It's actually beautiful and good mm-hmm. uh, that our country is so diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we need to be doing is making sure that we empower uh, families, that we empower individuals, that we empower communities to really be able to get in and, and create solutions not only in the economy, I mean, I think the the economy is, is one of the most significant places uh, where we should be transitioning to uh, very much an ownership-based economy that is very local-centered. Mm-hmm. But across a lot of these issues, like people in our communities, uh, and I think you pointed this out, um, and you're very correct, uh, that a lot of times these local issues uh, are not nearly as divisive and as corrosive, uh, and they do not demand that we believe all the same things, think all the same things, worship in all the same ways to work together on those very concrete things. Uh, and, and I'm running for United States Congress to really try to begin to shift that conversation back to creating environments where local can do its thing versus just being constantly distracted by uh, stuff that is just going to keep us stuck. Uh, so I, I, I thank you for that question, though, because that, that tension is, is important. But I think if we interpret it well, uh, we can see that our job is actually to lean into that mm-hmm. uh, at the national level so that local can work as best as possible in every community a- across the country. I think what you've just said gives me a sense of why I think better than anything, you know, in our pre-conversations of why you're doing what you're doing. So I I thank you for that. I'd like to close out this conversation by asking for a recommendation from you of something that you have found strengthening recently, of whether it's a a podcast or a book or a speaker. Um, yeah, so, something that you would say I'm energized by this uh, this particular source. Yeah, I think it's actually all the the constellation of things that seem to be going on uh similar to the ways that we've been talking about uh this podcast the uh 
the third party work that's happening, you know, become very close to the American Solidarity Party. Uh, I look at the forward party that Andrew Yang just uh, announced. I look at uh, the podcast that I co-host, the Church Politics Podcast, and the mm-hmm. way the listenership is growing there. Um, you know, just all around the country, people are thirsty for this. Uh, if, if there's one thing I was reading late last night when I should have been asleep, <laughs> a poll that actually came out from Fox News. Um, and if you look at the headline, it's something different. Stucktocracy mm-hmm. is still mm-hmm. at work. <laughs> uh, but when you dig down into it, they asked people, and this is a national poll, they asked people, you know, what is the most important issue to them? Number one was inflation. But the second thing was the state of our democracy, right? Before healthcare, wow. before jobs, um, and wow. all those other issues that you think folks would be clamoring for. Right. People are like, we just want like democracy to work. Wow. Like people to be able to talk to each other uh, and, and do important things. So I think that this is in the heart of the people in the country. And that gives me a, a good deal of hope. Mm. I want to remember the interior design metaphor that Pastor Chris suggested, looking at a place, looking deeply into a place, so deeply that you can imagine it anew. Wow. I have to say that I don't think I've had a guest so clearly articulate what this podcast calls spiritual capital as Chris Butler did. I hope that you'll check out his platform at electchrisbutler.com, a Democrat running in the first district of Illinois for U.S. Congress. If this sort of uh, storytelling that Chris has offered us today is important to you, if the practice of learning to see your community afresh is important to you, I encourage you to check out his platform. May I give you one more encouragement? I'd like to suggest that you also check out my newly published book, Why Spiritual Capital Matters. It's available on the publisher's website, WIPF and Stock, and on a kajillion other different sites. You can find it on Amazon, of course, but I'd really like to encourage you to consider patronizing a more responsible seller like Better World Books. My book runs for about 19 bucks, and it's chock full of suggestions and stories about learning to pay attention to unobvious goods in your organization and its community. Hey, thanks for joining the podcast Spiritual Capital. I'm Craig Matson, and you can always send me a note at spiritualcap at gmail.com.